0: The journey of Christian maturity involves an intentional life that is an ordered and collaborative effort with God. Join us for a fall series formed the reshaping of a life. I forgot I'm on. i thought supposed to preach, aren't I? I got kind of carried away. Get a seat. Hallelujah. Woo! I love that last song. That was, that was man. That, that that got the groove on. That, that, that's uh, that's that's good worship. I, I, it's so cool when everyone is buying on it, and everyone's there, and everyone's pouring themselves out. And it's just the spirit is here, and man, it's it's good. Praise him yeah, praise him. Lift him up. I love praise worship when it's fat and sassy. You know, it's, like, mm, oh, it's good. All right, if you're visiting, I'm Greg. I, I teach here once in a while. I, I love doing it. I have a lot of joy doing it. It's just good to be worshiping with God's people. Uh, I hope that you are. As a little prelude to the message here, I hope that you're uh, getting a chance to get out and check out the beautiful artistic work of God this time of year. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, it, it, here, it, there are many drawbacks to living in Minnesota, namely from November to April. But the, it, it's be, the change of seasons is so beautiful. I, I, this time of year, I feel sorry for all those poor people in Southern California. It, it's so boring. It's, High of 79, low of 69. It's always the same. Here we have these exciting change of seasons. I was out uh, doing uh, Friday morning, uh, doing my little waddle exercise, you know. Uh, and I was walking around the uh, Ford Parkway and uh, Fort Street Bridge, Lake Street Bridge, doing this little loop. And I, I started like about 6.15 in the morning. It was really dark. And around 6.40 or so, I was just crossing over the Fort Street Bridge. And within two minutes, it was dark. And then the sun came up, and it was like, letting it look like a a Christmas tree or something. All of a sudden, the the sun hit the trees going along the Mississippi River, and it just turned into this fluorescent yellow, green, orange, red. It was just beautiful. It was so magnificent. Like miraculous. And it spent about two minutes from darkness to all of a sudden this fluorescent glow. Oh, it was just beautiful. Just loved it. Good job, God. That's wonderful. It's good stuff, man. Well, we are... Just finishing up, well, we just finished up our uh, this series called Throughline, and that was about us as a church, Woodland Hills Church, looking at the major themes that kind of define the message that God's given us and define the kind of people we're called to be. And the goal of that series is to position Woodland Hills to have a maximal impact for the kingdom of God, because that's what it's all about, uh, in our community and around the world. And um, um, it, it, so it was us as a body. Now it, we're entering a new series. We're calling it Formed because whereas that previous series was about the formation of us as a church body, uh, this is about us as individuals. Because as I said last week, uh, the body depends on every part of the body working. If one part is not operational, uh, then it affects the whole body. And, um, and so we are only as strong as the members are strong. If, if you are called a Wilderness Church, if this is what you consider your spiritual home, you're part of this body, and we need you to be having your maximal impact for the kingdom and whatever role you're to play for us to have our maximal impact. And so in this series called Forum, we're looking at spiritual formation. Um, And what I want to do this morning is really just lay the foundation for that. Uh, We're entitling this message Dueling Desires because it's about dueling desires. (laughs) You ever had dueling desires? Uh, Ever been conflicted? Like there's something you really want to do. It's a good thing you want to do. But there's these other things you like that kind of sabotage that. I think we all have had this experience and are living in this experience. Here's an example. I find, I started to find around the age of 35 or so, that if I go even a month or two without exercising and watching what I eat, I start to develop a beach ball right here. And so I, I get a pot belly. And the older I get, the quicker it comes, and the harder it is to go. Bugs the daylights out of me. But it's kind of a Boyd trait. Um, all of our extra weight, every single calorie, goes right here, between here and here. Right? It's, it's like this. See? It doesn't go here. We don't get wide butts, and it doesn't get, We don't get flabby faces. I'd rather have a chubby face and a chubby butt, but it all goes right here. Our faces don't change. Our butt doesn't change. It's our gut changes, and instantly, it's incredible. My. My dad, who would never exercise or ate right or anything. So he, he always struck me, as I was growing up, I always thought he looked pregnant. <laughs> he, he did. And by the way, I, I don't mind if, if you have a, 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 a beach ball here. Uh, that's fine. Uh, this is about me, my issue, and with my father. And, and it, it bugged me that he had that look. And it, it didn't bug him. It bugged me that it didn't bug him. And he'd go mow the lawn with his shirt off. It's like, Dad, put something on. Oh, oh, come on. And he's just out there, you know. And I vowed I would never look like that. For some reason, it just grated me. I, I, I'm never going to develop a belly like that. Um, but it happens that if I go a month or two or three without exercising and watching what I eat, I'll look in the mirror one morning and bam, it's like, oh, hello, dad. Uh, I am three months along at least. And it, it's, uh, this isn't good. Uh, I even had my grandson uh, last year or the year before uh, one time said to me, I was carrying something in, and he looked at my gut and he goes, Grandpa, are you pregnant? And I, I thought they're supposed to be a blessing. You know, he has, they have a prophetic ministry. So I, when I, when it, whenever I get like this, I, I, I find I have to then go on a, a kind of exercise binge and, and, and uh, work out and, and watch what I eat. So last year... Um, I had gone a couple months backsliding. I wasn't watching my weight and wasn't exercising. And uh, I got, I I looked in the mirror one time and I think I was like five months along. And it's like, this is not good. So that was when I decided to do that marathon. Uh, The World Vision came here and they had this marathon, raise money for clean water in Africa. And I just on the spot signed up because I always need a, a goal, like a race or a time or something I'm shooting at. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to train. I'm going to watch what I eat and whatever. And it turned out, as I said last week, I wasn't able to do it because of my knee problems. Uh, so I had to just do the 10-mile race walking. But my goal was to lose 100... No, no To lose 180 pounds. No. I, <laughs> my goal was to lose 25 pounds so I could get down to 180, which tells you I was up to 205, which for me is heavy. Uh, and so I, I uh, made this commitment. I'm, I'm going to train for this thing, and I'm going to uh, lose this weight. Now, I, I, I would have to... Train, and I have to watch what I eat. The training part was not hard because I have always loved to push my body to the absolute limit. I just enjoy that for some sick reason. I like to just trash myself working out to the point where I can hardly walk. It feels good for me. So that was no problem. You know, it's no problem doing something that you like. Watching what I eat, now that is a problem because I lack like food. love <laughs> me. Uh, I, I, and I like all the wrong kinds of food. Why is it that, that, that all the stuff that tastes so good is all got a zillion calories and other ingredients that are going to kill you, and everything that's good for you tastes like cardboard? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's, we're, it's a fallen universe we're in here. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to serve us buttered popcorn and tell us it's good for our arteries, and it burns calories. That'll be heaven. But see, here on earth, it doesn't do that. It clogs arteries, and it, it, it puts on pounds, and so I... And I had to go. The trouble is, well, I, see, I, I love I love buttered popcorn, lots of butter on it, with all that seasoning, salt. Going to the movies, you know, just crunching out on that, you know, popcorn. Oh, it's just, it just tastes so good. It's a heart attack waiting to happen. I know, but it just tastes so good. And and and, and I love sweets, uh, chocolate, <laughs> chocolate. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite. Uh, <laughs> it's decadent. It, it's absolutely sick. These days, sick means good. So it's sick. Uh, it, it's sick how good it is. And, and, and Kit Kat bars, I love them. And, and, and ch- chocolate mousse cake <laughs> and chocolate ice cream with the chips in it. That's so good. Yeah, you're getting hungry. Listen to it, y'all, okay? Blueberry mango cheesecake done at Cafe L'Été. My wife and I discovered this. It is so, every bite is about 4,000 calories, but it is so good. It's like, oh, you know, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. All that. So, I love this, and, and, and yet it's going to have to go. Um, and I would commit to it. I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm not going to binge on that stuff. But then this happens, and I bet a few of you can relate to this. I eat my nice salad, yummy salad. Okay, that was good. And then afterwards, oh, there's a voice in my head that goes, oh, you were such a good boy to eat that healthy salad. You deserve a Kit Kat bar. <laughs> Or, or uh, you know, you gave up chips yesterday, uh, you, you deserve some, a bag of Doritos tonight, you know, you, you can't go two days in a row, come on, reward yourself, well, you might lose motivation if you don't reward yourself, or you worked out so hard today, oh, surely you deserve a reward, all those calories you burned, reward yourself, motivate yourself by having a bag of popcorn, and then you eat twice as many calories as you burned, you know, um, or, 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 you know, you're, okay, you're a little bit pregnant, but you're not as pregnant as some of the other guys that are out there. You ought to pat yourself on the back. Have yourself a, a blueberry mango cheesecake. Come on. Uh, you're way healthier than your dad was at this age. Think about that. Reward yourself with that mousse chocolate cake. Have a little ice cream here. Or the worst one, folks, the worst one is, I hear the voice that says, your wife likes a little bit of tummy on you. <laughs> and she does. <laughs> She does. She like, doesn't like it when I get too skinny. She goes, like, oh, I like that little belly. It's cute, sexy. What a demotivator. I mean, that is a, the ultimate demotivator. Sheesh. All right. So so, so it would turn out, I, I I find myself sitting down to watch a television show, and there's a bag of popcorn in front of me. And I don't even remember the thought process that got me there, but there it is. And I hate to waste food, so there it goes. Is he so... The, the, the watching what I eat just wasn't working very well, and I did lose, you know, about half the weight I wanted because I was working out hard, but I hit a point where I couldn't lose anything more because unless I cut out some of those calories, it's, this is where it's going to stay. So now I'm out there race walking, and I, got, I'm, 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 I went from being five months pregnant to, I say, two or three. Or is it two or three? What do you think? Yeah, is, is it showing? Am I showing much here? Okay. This is why, why I wear looser shirts. <laughs> uh, get a little space in there. Okay, so I, I'm race walking, you know, two months pregnant now, but I can still beat Seth McCoy at a 10-mile race any time of the day. Game is still on. He can run. I'll walk with my little belly. There you go. So we all have things like this, don't we? Things that you desire, you vow you're going to do, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff. And yet there's other things that you desire that sabotage this or at least compromise this. Dueling desires. And this is actually one of the most fundamental, maybe the most fundamental obstacles that we have to spiritual formation. When you surrender your life to Christ and, and, and put your trust in Him, uh, you are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you. God's own Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, resides in you. And... and He's influencing us, pushing us in the direction of being totally conformed with Christ. So at the core of our being, there is a desire to be totally conformed to Christ, to look like Christ, think like Christ in our attitudes, actions, all of that. And yet, let's be honest, none of us are totally conformed to the image of Christ. I'm way farther than the rest of you guys, but I'm I'm still not there. I'm still working on the humility part. Okay, so, no. And why is that? We desire it, but we don't don't do it. it's because while we desire it, we also desire other things that get in the way of this. Uh, Paul knew a little bit about this. And so he wrote about it in Romans 7. Check this out. I'll read some select passages from 7.15 to 8.2. I do not understand my own actions. I can relate to that. What's this popcorn doing on my lap? Did I just get that? I don't believe it. And then you hate yourself afterwards. It's like, oh, I feel like such a pig. I'll never do that again. Next night, there it is again. For I do not do what I want, namely giving up the popcorn, but I do the very thing that I hate, eating the popcorn. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. Okay, so the, the fact that I, I don't like it shows that I do approve of the, the, this law. It's a moral code thing, which might include not eating popcorn. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. Okay, so here's the thing. Paul, when he says that it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me, he's not saying, oh, blame it on the sin, not me. Like, oh, don't, don't blame me for eating that buttered popcorn. Blame it on the sin that dwells within me. He's not saying that. He's saying that when we live in what he calls the flesh, sin has mastery over us. We really have limited control insofar as we're living in the flesh. Now, when he says flesh, the word there in Greek is sarx. And it's not referring primarily to our physical bodies, like there's something wrong with our physical bodies. He's not saying that. Uh, this is Paul's word for living, for living in a worldly way or with a worldly mindset. It's, it's, it's I call it our false self. Uh, it's, it's the self that we inherited from the fallen world. It's, it's a way of thinking about ourselves and experiencing ourselves and experiencing the world as though what was true was not true. And this is how most people, in fact, live. You live moment by moment, as though God did not exist, as though Christ was not Lord and Savior, as though you did not owe him your all, as though you were Lord of your own life. You may believe in God and believe in Jesus, but you live as a functional atheist. That's the flesh. It's the false self, which includes a false view of God, a false view of reality. And insofar as we live in this false view, sarx, um, and so insofar as we live in that, we are in bondage to sin. There's nothing good in that. It's all false, and we're in bondage to sin. So then Paul says, So I find it to be a, a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, in the core of my being. I, I want to live according to the law of God, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, at, at war with what I know to be the right thing to do, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's just talking about his physical dwelling in this world. There's, there's, there's something that conflicts with his desire in the innermost person. So he says, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's a body of death because when, insofar as you're living in a false way of life um, and, and in bondage to sin, that sin leads to death. If, if nothing rescues you, sin leads to death. But then he gives this answer, and it's a beautiful answer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Starting in Romans 8.1 here. For the law of the spirit of life, as opposed to that body of death, this is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. I'll get to that here in a little bit. But here's the thing. I agree with N.T. Wright and other scholars who argue that in Romans 7, as Paul's talking about this dueling desire thing, he's not just, or even primarily speaking autobiographically, he's not giving his personal testimony as though he was unique in this respect. He's rather using a first century literary device where you speak in the first person singular to to represent all of humanity. He's speaking here a universal truth. What Paul is saying is that all human beings are in this condition insofar as they're in the flesh, they're in bondage to sin, and they have this conflict going on within them. They know the good to do, but they never quite do it. And Paul isn't saying that we are in this fallen condition as bad as we could possibly be, but he is saying that we're never as good as we know we ought to be. C.S. Lewis talks about this. I, I think it's in Mere Christianity, I'm not sure, but uh, he, he says there's two things that are true of every person in every culture. Two things. One is that they have a moral code. Never has existed a culture that didn't have a moral code. It w- couldn't exist that way. It has a moral code, but number two, people don't live up to it. They fall short of it. Now, he saw this as proof that Our moral intuitions are not merely expressions of our subjective preferences or our cultural preferences. There's a lot of folks out there, anthropologists and others, who think that. Uh, There's no objective right or wrong. It's just kind of what you're taught in your culture. It's what you prefer, things like that. But C.S. Lewis said this. If our moral intuitions were based on our personal or cultural preferences, of course we would be able to live up to them because no one prefers to feel guilty. The very fact that we don't meet live up to our moral intuitions is proof that our moral intuitions have an origin in something greater than ourselves. It's a pretty good argument. In fact, Lewis argued, I think, in a compelling way, that our moral intuitions, the fact that we fall short of our own moral intuitions, suggests that we are made in the image of a moral God. And we're in a fallen state, because we can't, despite our best efforts, live according to those those moral intuitions. Uh, Paul talks about this law of God. Um, and, and he's basically getting at the same thing that C.S. Lewis was getting at. For Paul and for other Jews, the law refers to the Mosaic Code, the moral code found in the Old Testament. But Paul also knows, he talks about this in Romans 2 and other places, that uh, people who don't know the law have the law written in their heart. They have a conscience. And just by virtue of being made in the image of God, we've got these moral intuitions, and yet we fall short of them. Uh, as we're made in the image of God, we, on some level, want to do the right thing, we feel best about ourselves when we do the right thing. And yet, to some degree, we never consistently do the right thing. We do other things. There's competing desires. You really do want to lose that weight and be able to run that marathon. Uh, and, and, and yet, you also like the popcorn. <laughs> and the two conflict. You, you have vowed numerous times that you're done with pornography, but you keep falling back into it. You know that gossip isn't good, and yet you find yourself always doing it. You feel terrible that you are always seeking people's approval. You know that that's idolatry, and yet, at the end of the day, you look back and realize you've been doing it all day long. You know, you, you, you vowed that you'd be more generous. You want to give to the poor. You want to give to the ministry. You want to be sacrificial. That's what the kingdom's all about. But it just seems that you live in a way where you just don't have anything left over. You live beyond your means, and that and, and goes on and on and on, no matter how bad you feel about it. Um, you know You know you shouldn't be sleeping around, but you always seem to end up there. You know that you've, you've, you want to be a, a more considerate to your wife, but you're still the narcissistic jerk that you were when, when she first married you. You know, we have all these, these good aspirations, these good intentions, uh, but they always seem to be sabotaged. We fall short of them. We, we uh, you say you're never going to be drunk again, and then you find yourself out on the floor. You know, you shouldn't be worried about the future. You should be trusting God, and yet, no matter how, many, how hard you try, it this anxiety just fills your being. Uh, and see, if, it, we're conflicted. We have these dueling desires. And the more serious we are about our walk with God, the more that bothers us. Um, when we hear all these truths that are true about us in Christ, and yet we don't live up to them, and it bothers us. And we get to the point where Paul was when he said, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Now, probably most of us in this room know the answer to that question, but let's hold off on it in a second. Because whatever we believe the answer is, is, should be, This is also true about us, that especially we in Western culture, when we face our own shortcomings, we don't do all the good that we know we should do, or or we're dealing with somebody else who doesn't do all the good that they know they should do, our default answer to that is not that they need to be rescued. Our default answer tends to be they need to try harder. You need to work harder at it. Uh, You need to muster up some more willpower, especially we in America. We have got a, a, a strong belief in the power of the will, right? Our motto is, is that it tends to be that there's nothing that can't be fixed if you just have enough willpower and are willing to put work to it and sacrifice, you can get it done. Our motto tends to be, this is our kind of the American work ethic, that anybody, if they want to bad enough and are willing to work hard enough, they can achieve anything. I see it as a rather naive uh, sort of motto, but, but it's deeply ingrained in us. It's rather naive. Uh, because this is, you know, we're all born on the same level, equal opportunity playing field, right? That's right. We all have equal opportunity. Why, how many times have we heard that anybody, this is a great country, because anybody, if they want to, bad enough, can become president. So it's just a coincidence that all the presidents we've had up to the, the, the present one have been uh, rich white guys. It's just a coincidence. And the poor folks and the, the non-white folks and the female folks, they just didn't want it bad enough. They just weren't willing to, you know, sacrifice to make it happen. It's a, it's a naive uh, kind of uh, worldview, I think. But, but it's deeply ingrained in our psyche. I talked to a pastor several years ago. Uh, he, he has this church in this city that is torn by racial tension, uh, partly, largely because the ghetto area is just dilapidated and it's, it's inhumane conditions and, and there's drugs and crime and there's a lot of racial tension coming out of that. And so since he has a church in this proximity, I, I'm sitting at a table having dinner with, with him and his staff, and they're, they're all white. And I just asked him, you know, about like what does the church do in terms of racial reconciliation and things like that. And the answer was sadly nothing. But in the process of explaining that to me, um, trying not to say it like that, uh, he, he, he said this. He said, you know, I, I just don't understand black people. Because if I was living in that ghetto, well, I would just work extra hard and earn extra money and save up and move out. Why don't, gosh, I never thought of that. Um, see, he's buying into this idea that it's all about work. And see, the, the assumption there in that statement, the assumption is that, well, they're there because they're lazy. They're not working hard enough. Forget the fact that you got single mothers working three jobs, raising five kids. You know, it's, uh, forget all the systemic issues. Forget all the historic issues. It's all a matter of will. See, that's it. And that leads to all sorts of wrong assessments of things. And then, Let me say this. I, I, whenever I talk about a white perspective on things... I will, not whenever, but sometimes, I'll get white folks who kind of chafe at that. They get irritated by that white perspective. I've gotten several emails of folks that have said this. Um, I don't have a white perspective. Just because I'm white doesn't mean I have a white perspective. I, do, I just see things as they are. Well, folks, that is the white perspective, all right? It's, it's, you get to have that. You, you get to define what is real, all right? Uh, your experience is everyone's experience. And since it, on your playing field, you can accomplish most of everything you want by just trying hard, you assume that's true for everybody. You see, And, and it, you're ignorant uh, of, of all that you don't know, of the different world that people, uh, other people live in. So this motto is really a, a, a white privilege pr- perspective motto, but it's deeply ingrained in the culture. We just think it's all about effort. Try hard. Put, put your will to it. And so it's usually expressed in terms of oughts and shoulds and got to do's and better do's, you know, or it's, it's expressed kind of in veiled threats, like, like if you really love Jesus, you'd get over this thing. If you were truly saved, well, this, you know, would be something that you, you'd have conquered by now. If you were serious about your walk with God, well, then, then you'd, you'd work harder at this and be done with it. It's all about our own will. I call it the Try harder solution. Try harder solution. Roll up your sleeves and put more elbow work into it, and it can get done. Now, Here's the thing. I am all for hard work. I'm a fan of hard work. I believe in a hard work ethic. Work your brains out. Wonderful. And you can accomplish a lot of things through hard work. And, uh, and if you don't work hard, there's a lot of things, negative things that can happen to you. I believe in that. Hard work. Good. But folks, while will, you can willpower your way into a lot of things, you are not going to willpower your way into conformity to Christ. You're not going to willpower your way into spiritual formation. You're not going to willpower your way uh, to become a fundamentally different kind of person. Some things are greater than our will. The problem that we're up against when it comes to spiritual formation is a problem that's way bigger than our individual will. I mean, Think about this. Our will is based on our desires. If you desire something a lot, then you can have the willpower to do a lot of work to get it. But the problem with us is is not with the will, it's with our desires. Our desires are conflicted. And so our will is conflicted. You see, our innermost self desires to walk with God and to be totally conformed to the image of Christ. Our innermost self, the Holy Spirit, is in there. And, and yet our flesh, this false way of living that, that, that we're, we're so used to, our old self, it, it desires a lot of other things, and it's in bondage to sin. And the will is caught in the conflict between the, the, the innermost self and the, the flesh self. And so the will is the problem. It's not going to be the solution. Some things you just can't will your way into. Uh, it, it, this is why Paul says, uh, when he raises this, this, this question, he goes, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? His answer is not me. He doesn't say, well, I'll just work harder at it and, to obey that law. That's not his solution. In fact, his solution is the exact opposite of that. Here's what he says. We read it before. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. This is God's rescue plan. Paul is saying you can't willpower your way out of these dueling desires, but you can be rescued. In fact, you've got to be rescued, and the one who rescues you is Jesus. So he gives a statement. There's no condemnation to what they are in Christ Jesus. There's two aspects to God's rescue operation here, okay? Verse 1 and verse 2. Romans 8, 8 1 and 8, 2. The first one is there's no condemnation to that much are in Christ Jesus. This is his rescue operation. I, I have shared before uh, kind of a testimony about how that verse revolutionized my life, and I don't want to go into the details of it now. I'll just say this. That When I uh, came to Christ, I was 17 years old. it got saved in this holiness Pentecostal church that had more rules than you could shake a stick at. Um, but I had had five a uh, five-year steady diet of pornography. My dad's pornography from age of 12 to 17. And I could conform to most of the rules, but this pornography, pornography thing just wouldn't go. I kept falling back into it. And for the first two years of my Christian walk, I was this wretched man. I wanted to be done with this. I wanted to be free of this. I hated it, but I kept falling back into it. And I did the try harder solution on steroids. I mean, I... I, I I, I went through all the oughts and the shoulds. I beat myself up with oughts and shoulds and gotta do's and better do's and if you really love Jesus, if you're really saved, if you're really serious, you would do this. I, I went through all that. But I kept falling back into it. Uh, and every time I'd fall back into it, I'd come into this condemnation. And so then on our Sunday night evening service, I'd get resaved and I, I'd recommit my life to Christ and I'd make all sorts of promises, never again, blah, 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 blah. But sooner or later, and usually it was sooner than later, I'd fall back into it. I got to the point after two years where I hit hopeless, you ever hit hopeless? It's a nasty rock you hit your head on. You hit hopeless. I hit that rock. Uh, and uh, I, I, see, I thought hitting hopeless meant that I was going to have to give up on the faith and walk away. And, and I, just, I just wasn't salvageable. I couldn't live the life, as they put it. Uh, and so I just was, I, I, I couldn't be saved. I was going to hell. That's what I thought. But when I hit the rock of hopeless, what God saw was that I'm finally ready to be rescued. I was so busy saving myself that, that he couldn't get a word in edgeways. And now I was in a position where I could get rescued. Yes. Amen. And, and through a very, that night when I hit hopeless, through a miraculous means I can't get into right now, but it was supernatural, I discovered Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This is, I believe, the first and most fundamental stepping stone to spiritual formation. It is to know that, As you are right now with all of your conflicting desires, with all of your brokenness, with all of your issues, with all of the sin, you are loved and you are accepted in Christ Jesus. If you've surrendered to him and put your trust in him, you are loved in Christ Jesus. See, the try harder solution says you have to change or face condemnation. But Jesus' rescue mission says, no, I give you no condemnation. And that is how you're going to change. Completely the opposite of the try harder solution. If you're thinking in terms of the try harder solution, when you hear no condemnation, well, it, you, you start to worry like, well, that's just going to give people a license to sin. They're going to just go, hey, wow, well, they're never going to change on that. And that just indicates that you don't get it. You just have not gotten on the inside of what it means to be in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, is so important in the New Testament. There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ. In Christ. Um, it's one of Paul's favorite phrases. You see, when you surrender your life to Christ and put your trust in him, you are in some real metaphysical, ontological sense put inside of Jesus. You're in him. And everything that's true of Jesus by nature now becomes true of you by grace. He gives you everything, everything. Uh, and so there's, Jesus isn't condemned, and so if you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation. And Jesus is holy, and so if you're in Jesus, you're made holy. And Jesus is perfectly faithful. And so if you're in Jesus, you really are perfectly faithful. And and, and Jesus is seated high above all principalities and powers in heavenly places and far above the power of sin. And so if you are in Jesus, you are placed far above principalities and powers and far above the power of sin. Amen? And Jesus is blessed with every spiritual blessing. Jesus is blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so Paul tells us that we are blessed with, with, in, in Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Everything that is his by nature is given to us by grace, praise God. And so what it means, folks, is that, that God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before he loves and embraces us. He loves and embraces us, and that's the thing that motivates us to begin to clean up our act. Amen? It's true. He, 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 he doesn't like dangle everything out there. Here's salvation. Here's the blessings. Here's all this. It's out there like a carrot at the end of a stick. And then, then it try hard to get it now. No, no, he doesn't do that. He gives us everything up front. The whole thing, the whole kitten kabootie, he gives it us up front. Here you have all my love up front. All forgiveness up front. All justification. The total package right here. Uh, 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 rightly related with God. Rightly related in, within the triune God. Uh, the, the eternal destiny change. Everything's given to us up front. It's like we sang earlier, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. You've got everything. It's you right now. It's yours. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, it's the love of Christ that compels me. The love of Christ. It's not the fear of hell, the fear of wrath, trying to appease God, trying to impress somebody. No, it's the love that God has for him in Christ, the love that that generates towards God, in him towards Christ. He's, he's motivated by this. This is his fuel. This is what, it, what makes him an activist. This is what forms his, his spiritual formation. It fuels his kingdom work. It's the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Because he got it already, you see? And when you get that, it changes everything. This is our true identity. This is who, you, If you're surrendered to Christ, this is who you truly are. Now You don't maybe see that. You don't experience that. Uh, you don't act that way. You don't think that way. And that's the flesh. That's the lie. But the truth is that you are this. In Christ, you are made holy and righteous. And see, it's as you know and experience that true identity that you, that's how you blow apart that false self, the flesh, and therefore blow apart the bondage uh, of, of sin, the mastery of sin over that. Sin masters the flesh. You blow the flesh apart by knowing the truth. As Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It shall set you free. And so when, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I discovered this verse, um, like for the first time, read it for the first time, although I'd read it a lot of times before that, but I'd never read it. Now I could see it. And, and it, it, did, it changed me in ways that my willpower never could have. I couldn't willpower my way out of that mess I was in. Uh, but see, when I discovered this truth, well, I had a picture of God that I, that I feared and I therefore had to live for. I had to. Ah, should, gotta do, better do, the try harder thing. I feared God, and therefore I tried hard to live according to his ways. It didn't work so well. But now I, for the first time, got a picture of God that I loved, and therefore I wanted to live for. World of difference between those two things. I was captivated by the beauty of a God who loved me, lavished his love on me for free, despite my sin, despite my muck and my mire. I, I was captivated by the beauty of a God whose love for me infinitely outran his disapproval of my behavior. I I was captivated by the beauty of a God who just embraces me as I am, who loves me instead of just loving or hating my behavior. You see, he loves me as a person, a God who ascribes unsurpassable worth to me, even when I'm acting worthless. And see, as I got a picture of that God, I was motivated. I I, I wanted to live for him. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. And that changed my image of myself, too. I, I... I always thought myself as the kid who sooner or later screws up, does bad, and gets authorities mad at him. That's the one thing I'm good at. And now I, I, I got an image where, you know what? I am a king's kid. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I've got his DNA running through me. His righteousness is running through me. And so I'm better than this stupid juvenile, infantile smut that I'm looking at. You know, I, I'm better than this. I'm above this. This is, this is undignified for me. This is beneath me. Rabbits do this stuff. I'm a little bit better than a rabbit. You see, and, and it, it, it broke the bondage. It's the truth that sets you free. Amen. It's the truth that sets you free. There's no condemnation to them where are on Christ Jesus. So, so whatever your struggle is this morning, whatever your conflicted desires are, whatever the mess is, the first word you've got to hear is that that mess, that mire, that conflict it it uh it doesn't squelch the love of god for you doesn't qualify god's acceptance of you doesn't give us god a second thought on him embracing you uh no no it, it doesn't change the fact that he's the true god and you're the true you that conflict of desires that you have it doesn't even express the true you you only have that conflict of desires because you haven't yet fully embraced the true you and haven't fully put off the flesh the power of sin resides in the flesh. You put that off, and it, 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 it gets broken, and the true you gets manifested, which leads to my second point, the second aspect of God's rescue plan, and that's this. It's the, the, when Paul says the law, the law of the, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Okay, so because you're in Christ, this is who you truly are. Because you're in Christ, everything that's true of Christ is, not, by nature is true of you by grace, including his spirit. He gives you everything himself in the power of the spirit. You have the spirit of Christ dwelling within you. And that spirit, and this is already done in principle. We just have to uh, bring it into our experience. But that spirit is at work to free us from every element of that false self, the flesh, uh, free us from the power of sin, working in that false self, the flesh, is, is that working in us at all times to embrace who we truly are and to put off what we're not? See, here's the thing. Grace, God's grace, outlandish grace, it gives us space to be accepted and loved as we are in the midst of all of our muck and mire. And I always tell people that until you can feel and believe that you're truly loved and accepted in the middle of your muck and mire, you're never going to get out of your muck and mire in a healthy way. You may be see your way out of it, but you're not going to, in a healthy way, get out of it. Uh, You'll you'll just exchange muck and mires. Some look better than others. Uh, No, the only way to truly get out of the muck and mire is to know that you're loved in the midst of the muck and the mire. All right? So God's grace gives us space to be loved and accepted exactly as we are right now. But it doesn't give us space to remain exactly as we are right now because God loves us too much for that. And he knows who we truly are. He knows, he, he knows what he's made us, saved us to be. He knows, he knows our true identity in Christ Jesus. And, and he yearns for us to experience that, to know that, to manifest that. In fact, that's got to happen uh, before we enter into the kingdom of heaven. All that is not us has got to be burned away. So the Spirit of God is not trying to make us into something we're not already. The Spirit of God is at work to, just to manifest who we are already by getting rid of everything that we're not already. Amen. All that false stuff. Uh, In the try harder solution, you're always trying to become something that you're not presently, right? Something more. But in God's rescue operation, uh, no, it's just a matter of yielding to the Spirit who's at work in us uh, to, to manifest who we already are by getting rid of everything that we're not. And our role, whereas the try harder idea says you've got to use more willpower in God's rescue operation, it, the willpower is the problem. Stop using your willpower thinking you can do it on your own. Surrender that will to the Spirit and let the Spirit begin to take away all that's false. The way the, way the Spirit operates is, is, is a lot like the way Michelangelo, the famous Renaissance sculptor, used to do sculptures. He, uh, he, he said this in one of his writings. He said, In every block of marble I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me. Shaped and perfect in attitude and action. He looked at it as marvel. And whereas other people just saw a block, he saw the form in the block. It's already there. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine now see it. It's already there. He sees it, but no one else does. And so to allow others to see it, he's got to take away everything that's not, that sculpture. So he, he didn't see himself as creating a sculpture. He saw himself as freeing a sculpture. Here's a picture of of, of one of his works that that, uh, he never finished. Okay, get that picture up there. So you see, there's all this rock around it, and he's just unveiling this this sculpture in there, that beautiful apparition. Uh, Guy's got really ripped abs. But uh, (laughs) he wasn't creating a thing. He was just freeing the thing. See, this is what the Spirit does with us. We sang it before. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything. There's nothing more to acquire. There's nothing more to gain. He's given to you all up front. You are a beautiful apparition created in Christ Jesus, holy, blameless, spotless. You had that all, the character of Jesus. But see, you and I are encased in rock. We're encased in rock, we're encased in the rock of our flesh our false ideas of ourselves and the world, the false way of experiencing ourselves in the world. We're encased in all the lies we've ever believed and all the lies that have ever been told to us. We're encased in all the, the deceptive tapes that run on autopilot in our brain, that the grid through which we interpret the world. We're encased in our woundedness and, and the fears that we've acquired and the rejection and abandonment that we've experienced. We're, we're, we're encased in all the false assumptions we've ever had. Uh, th- this is the rock that, hold, that keeps us from manifesting the truth of who we are. Uh, and the Spirit is at work to remove those layers from us, to free us, to set the captives free. But now the Spirit doesn't work coercively. God doesn't work coercively. He's not going to do a lobotomy on you and just take over. You have a role to play in this, and our role is this. Number one, know your true self, believe your true self, trust what God says about you more than you trust your brain-damaged brain, because it is damaged. Uh, don't trust what mom and dad said about you. To put all your trust in him and then integrate that into your thoughts. And we'll be talking about that through the through series. Uh, bring every thought captive to Christ, which is to say bring every thought captive to the truth of who you are in Christ and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change your thought patterns. We have a role to play in that as the Spirit is at work in us. Hang on to that true identity. And then, second thing is, let the Spirit take away everything else. This is who you truly are. Spirit, take away all the rest of the stuff. Just shave it off. Here also we have a role to play we're not going to try hard to do that on our own. Our job is to yield, to let go. Because unlike Michael uh, Angelo's sculptures, we can hang on to rock. We hang on to that crap. Uh, we're used to it. It's part of, we identify with it. It's uncomfortable to get rid of it. Maybe it's a little bit painful. Uh, we don't know what we're going to do without it, so we tend to cling to it. We get security out of this. And the Holy Spirit is saying, will you just let go and let me take that away? Because there's a beautiful apparition that needs to be unveiled. Uh, the true you to come forth and shining. Know who you truly are, because if you don't know that, you're not going to know what needs to be chiseled away. You'll confuse who you truly are with the rock that encases you. You'll be hanging on to the wrong stuff and letting go of the wrong stuff. No, know who you truly are, and then let the Spirit shave away all the rest and get a vision of what you're going to look like when that is fully done. You're going to shine. It's going to be bright. You're going to reflect the glory of God perfectly in the unique way that he's created you to be. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, look. At, uh, let, let me say, say this. I'll close with an advertisement and an assignment. And I've got two minutes to do it. I wish they would make that clock a little brighter. Uh, or maybe my eyes are going bad. Uh, we have this, this uh, cool workbook. Uh, it, it includes a lot of like, spiritual disciplines that uh, the church has practiced throughout history. Uh, And all the spiritual disciplines, folks, are all about—we'll be going through some of them in this series—but they're all about what I just said. In one way or another, it's about knowing who you truly are and ways of of growing in that and letting go and letting the Spirit uh, take away stuff. This isn't a a rah-rah self-help kind of thing, like we're going to really work hard at getting holy. No, it's the opposite. We're, we're, going to learn how to, we're going to learn how to let go of that and let the Spirit do his stuff. So the disciplines position us to be in a, in a spot where the Spirit can really work on us. Uh, I encourage you to pick up this book. We have it at a resource center. It costs five bucks, and believe me, we're not making a penny on this. I think we're losing money on it, actually. But uh, we'd like everyone to have this. Also, if you're able, I encourage you to check out the Tuesday night discussion groups that we have here that are going to be based on this. You'll start with the sermon, and, uh, and then you can go deeper with it, deeper than we can go in the message itself. And so that might be something that you find to be very, very fruitful, okay? I want to end with this one quick little assignment. I find this to be the foundational discipline in my own life. and It's this. If everything's to be done out of a compulsion that comes from the love of Christ, the love of Christ compels us, then it means that everything in the kingdom, including our spiritual formation, depends on us experiencing that love, which which then kindles a love on our part for Christ, and it's out of that love, then, that we work with the Spirit to shave off all the rock. We can't get too much of His love into our life, right? And so I encourage you to do this. Try this once at least this week. You can try it every day of the week. You can try it, quit your job and do it all day long for all I care. But, 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 but try this. And um, I talk about this in my book, Seek is Believing, if you want to go in, in deeper with this. But just carve out a space a time, 15 minutes, half hour, hour. Um, last night I couldn't sleep, so I ended up doing three hours of this. And I, I just love it. It's a great way to have insomnia. Uh, to use it to your advantage. <laughs> Carve out some space. Turn off the lights. Put on some soft music because music is a gift of God that can make, a, make, make us more pliable in His hands. And then uh, just ask the Spirit to help you encounter the living Jesus. Um, this happens. The church tradition they call it. They call our imagination the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary, because it is where we it, the things of God. We encounter the things of God in concrete, powerful, transforming ways. And so imagine Jesus. Uh, coming to you in whatever location you get. And there, hear him and see him and sense him and feel him communicating to you all the truths he's already said about you in Scripture, but now he's communicating it to you personally. It's great to know that God loves the world, but you need to know that God loves you. And, and, and you can see the love in his eyes and hear it in his voice and feel it in, in, in his hug. However you do imagination, we all do it a little bit different, but, but uh, just encounter the living Jesus and let him just tell you how he loves you. He knows the issues you've got, the faults, whatever. And don't go into this promising mode during this. This isn't the time to make promises or to do intercessory prayer. This is the time to just enjoy Jesus enjoying you as you are. Enjoy Jesus enjoying you as you are. I call it resting in Christ. It's the opposite of the try harder solution. Try harder says, come on, work harder at it. At the, at the core of the kingdom is, is the instruction to do nothing but be. Be who you are and let Jesus be who he is and let him love on you. And as you see his love that dwarfs the, 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 the significance of the shortcomings in your life and the struggles in your life, that is what kindles a love in you for Christ. And that begins to motivate you to want to live for him. And that is the fuel that the kingdom engine runs on. Spend time letting Jesus love you. Love Jesus loving you. Enjoy Jesus enjoying you. I find it to be the most transforming thing in the world. And I need to come back to it very, very frequently because you find that, oh, you're full of love and full of motivation, but it's just like a commitment to not eat popcorn. It starts to to wane on you if you're not careful. So regularly, have time where you let him be everything to you, right? He is our life, as we sang. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Transformer. He is our King. He is our everything. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? As we leave this place, I pray, can we do it as a people who are committed are committed to not trying hard, all right? At least when it comes to our, our spiritual formation. Can we be a people who are committed to hanging on to and integrating our true identity into ourselves by really believing that is true? Whatever your experience is, believe that this is true. And can we leave here as a people who are committed to yielding to the Spirit? Let the Spirit take things away that are not you. It may hurt. It may be uncomfortable. It may be scary. I got that. But just yield. Just yield. Uh, You you can't do anything on your own, but through Christ you can do all things who strengthens you. Amen? Just just let it go. Let the Spirit do His work. Get chiseled. Let Him chisel away. Chisel away. Set the captives free. God bless you guys. Go out. Be the body of Christ to the world. Love you.